Amen. Well, good morning. Go ahead and grab a seat. I'm pretty sure I know everyone in here. So uh, my name is Joel, and I'm the lead pastor here. If you didn't know that, I say that every time. But uh, I'm super excited, again, to be here with you today and to be in this great series, Jesus Unveiled. Um, This has been such an awesome series. I I won't make you raise your hands, but I, I hope that you've been reading through the book of Revelation in this series. That's what we're taking a look at, the the book of Revelation, and we're just kind of going through it chapter by chapter and looking at things. And um, I just want to kind of set the tone for you that today is kind of a different sermon. It's probably not, you probably, if you've gone to Alpine for a while, it may not be, uh, you may not have ever heard this information that we're going to talk about today um, and even moving forward. And it's probably something you don't think a lot about as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you probably would never think about this stuff. Uh, Maybe in movies you would see, uh, would remind you of some of these things. But um, this is what I want to remind us before we get into the topic today, the purpose of the book of Revelation. When we read it, what response it should evoke in us and through us, and it's this. It's that the book of Revelation is meant for faith and obedience, not speculation, So Ross shared this the first week uh, with us in in the first lesson through Revelation because so many people approach this book and and just are speculative, right? They're just wondering what this means. What does it mean that there's six eyes and six wings and all this kind of stuff, you know, all this imagery? But this is what I want to remind us of today. It's for faith and obedience, not speculation, It says in Revelation 1-3, it says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. And so with that being said, today we're going to look at the seven seals of Revelation. So this is the chapter we're going to be in is chapter 6. If you have your Bibles or even your Bible apps, uh, open them to Revelation chapter 6. We'll be in 6 and a little bit in 7 today. And uh, this kind of reminds me, before we get into it, have you ever been given a gift that, that you could not open for a while? Like, you, they gave it to you, it was nice, it was packaged, you wanted to know what was inside of it, but you couldn't open it. You know, this made me think of, think back to when you were a kid and uh, Christmas, you know, around Christmas times when whoever would put gifts under the tree, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, so, you know, you'd have presents under the tree, right? And, and you'd come home every day, and it would just, you'd be so hyper-focused on that present and what was in it. You know, it could be socks, right? It could be something like that, super bland, boring, or it could be that toy that you wanted. Um, but the seven seals, it's kind of like God giving us an unwrapped present, Um, It's probably a present that many of us, you know, uh, may have not wanted before, like socks. But as we're going to see, these are actually really good things if you have a relationship with Jesus. And so I just want to set the context for what's happening. Uh, Last week we talked about the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb. And, And we find ourselves in this heavenly throne room. Again, Revelation is the revelation of John. Um, He's seeing these futuristic things for the church and for Christians and for the world. And Jesus is in the throne room and he grabs the scroll from God. He takes this scroll. It's a piece of parchment. There's writing on it, but no one can read it. Uh, And someone who is worthy, only someone who is worthy can open this scroll. 
And this scroll, it has seven seals on it. And that's why we're talking about the seven seals today. And in the ancient world, uh, the, the um, scroll would have wax seals, and a wax seal would be kind of a wax and then a stamp on it. And the stamp told you who was allowed to open it, who had the authority to open this seal. And so as we see, Jesus has the, op- uh, the authority to open each one of these seals. And uh, each time he opens one of them, we see something revealed about God's plan for human history um, and every time he opens a seal, something happens. It kind of reminded me of Jumanji, right? The, the movie Jumanji, when, when they make a move, you know, something happens in the world. That's kind of what I, I thought of when I was thinking of this. And so uh, that's kind of the backdrop. Um, we need to remember this before we jump into this, that the Bible was written to a specific people in a specific time in a specific place. But the Bible is always applicable to Christians all time. So it's applicable to the first century readers to whom this was written to. And it's also applicable to every Christian throughout history. And so this, this is the, the things that we're going to see have happened throughout history. And we'll talk about that. But, but what we need to know about the first four seals is it sets into motion the beginning of the end of history. The beginning of the end of history. Um, we're going to kind of break these into the first four seals, then the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh. So the first four are kind of a grouping together. And, and they're symbolized. We see these picture of four horsemen. Each seal has a horseman connected to it. And the four horsemen, uh, again, not to be speculative, but, but really the big picture is that these people, these horsemen are enacting God's judgment in human history. And so this says this in Revelation 6, 1 and 2. John, as I watched the lamb, as I watched, the lamb broke the first seal of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. So this is the first rider. He comes in on a white horse. He's got a bow. He's got a crown, and he's coming to gain victory. Now, a lot of people have thought through the centuries that this was Jesus. This was Jesus coming back because it says in Revelation 19 that Jesus will come back on a white horse. Um, and maybe, you know, you could take the, he was wearing a crown as he's the king, but it's very likely this isn't Jesus, number one, because uh, Jesus comes back in Revelation 19, not Revelation 6. And then they don't really have much in common aside from they're both riding on a white horse. But it's probably a better, um, it's probably a better uh, symbol of someone who has military power who's going to come and dominate, a a conquest, right, to conquer people. It's a symbol of victory. And and so this first rider, he's going to bring with him uh, conquest. He's going to be a warrior. Now the second rider, in verses 3 through 4, says, When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth, and there was war and slaughter everywhere. So the second horseman comes riding on a red horse, 
And this almost symbolizes a, a war, or specifically civil war. And so when we put on our first century lens, and we look at what this meant for first century leaders, between AD 68 and 69, there were four different leaders, four different emperors in Rome. In one year, there were four different emperors, and as you can imagine, that probably wasn't the most peaceful uh, place to be, right? Four different leaders. There was a lot of anarchy. There was a lot of bloodshed, and so this would have been uh, very applicable to the people in the first century, but it's also today. We look around. There's, there's uh, divisions. There's been civil war in our own country. There, you know, we need to think broader than just America. There's other things happening in other countries as well, and so this, this definitely has a residual effect through the centuries and has. The fourth, the, the third writer, sorry, when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, come. I looked up and saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay and don't waste the olive oil and wine. So this one's a little bit more difficult to decipher, but basically this third seal, this, four, this third horseman, represents a famine. And so what it's saying in this verse is that things will be, things like loaf of bread will cost a day's wage, probably 10 to 12 times what it would normally cost, th- things that you would probably expect to happen in a famine, right? It's kind of, uh, I don't know if this is funny, but uh, it kind of reminded me, you know, a few, a few uh, months ago, you know, when we were out of toilet paper, but you could find like, you could find anything else, right? You could get cologne or perfumes, like the luxurious items. And that's why John, the, that's why he writes, and don't waste the olive oil or wine, because those things during a famine, they're going to be abundant, right? You're going to be able to get those anywhere, but things like toilet paper, you won't be able to get. And they'll upcharge you. That was so frustrating. Like a dollar for a roll of That's ridiculous. But anyway, um, now the fourth seal. The fourth seal. Seven and eight. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. So this, it, it, it almost looks like it's kind of amplifying with each one who's coming. And this fourth one, it says that he's going to have dominion over a fourth of the earth. And a fourth of the earth will be killed, essentially. And we don't need to dig too deeply again to get the point of what this is saying. This, this is meant to shock the reader, right? When we think of a fourth of the earth in today's term, that would be billions of people, right? And so, so we don't know exactly how many people that is. It depends on, you know, who's where. But we don't need to speculate to see that this is, this is pretty jarring information for us. But we have some help through all of this. It says this in in Luke 21. This is Jesus speaking. He said, And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. And as we know, as Brian talked about last week, time to us and time to God is much different. Right? We don't really know what God's timing is, but I love what Jesus says. When you hear of these things, when these things are happening, don't panic. Don't panic. Sadly, you know, we've said this each week. 
the book of Revelation is not meant to f- strike fear in the lives of a Christian. It's meant to, to see Jesus more clearly, to establish hope. And so when we see these things, every time we see one of the you know, horsemen in our lives, famines, plagues, wars, rumors, uh, pandemics, things like this, it should remind us that the end is becoming nearer. Not that it's, you know, next year or in 50 years. I mean, no one, you know, no no one even knows when that's going to be. But the truth is, is that COVID, COVID's a sign of the end times. So is uh, each war, each rumor of war that's coming. And so as Christians, we need to prepare ourselves for the end. And so these are the first four. Again, they're kind of grouped together. And now we come to the fifth one, which kind of takes us in a different direction. And the fifth seal... It reveals the martyrs who remain faithful in spite of persecution. So again, we need to put our first century lens on the people who this was originally written to. Uh, There were many people martyred for the faith. A martyr is someone who, who dies defending their faith or dies for their faith. That's a martyr. And so many Christians uh, who were coming to Christ in this oppressive Roman empire were persecuted even to the point of death. And, some have, some, and, the, and so these, they were called martyrs. They were martyred for their faith. And this is kind of what the fifth seal is focusing on. In Revelation 6, 9, and 10, it says this, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? So these are the people who had given their lives for the testimony of Jesus, for their faith. They had laid down their lives. And they want to see justice done. They're saying, God, how long are you going to wait to do this? How long are you going to not enact justice on these people? And, and from the human perspectives, they were condemned, they were killed. But from God's perspective, they will be made righteous ultimately. But God is saying, you know, hold, hold on, wait, wait, wait. You know, it's going to be on my timing. Verse 11, it says this. It says, then a white robe was given to each of them. These are the martyrs. And they were told to rest a little while longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred had joined them. This white robe, it symbolizes this blessedness, this purity um, that Christ brings. These Christians had held up to the point of death their faith, and judgment won't come until the full number of martyrs has, has come. And so, again, we don't know how many this is. We don't know um, the implications or how this is going to specifically look. But this is the good news. The good news from this is that that. No matter what persecution we face, again, coming back to our world in the 21st century, no matter what persecution we face, no matter what that's going to look like, um, God is going to preserve us. God is going to enact justice on the people who have, um, who have brought persecution upon us. And so that's a, that's a great hope. So that's the fifth seal. The sixth seal signals the inescapable wrath of God. So this is where it really starts to get real. Um, so this is very uh, uh, apocalyptic, end of the world. This has not come yet. Um, we haven't seen this yet. Because on a global scale, on a universal scale, 
God's wrath will be enacted. And right now there are many people out in the world who are just living for themselves, who are living selfishly, who, who don't really ever think about uh, that they're going to have to answer for their, the things that they've done and the things that they do. There are many people who don't know what God thinks about evil. God hates evil. God, God does not like evil, and he does not like sin. And sin is any time we go our own way instead of God's way. And they're not aware that what Jesus has done, and they, they don't think about what happens. They don't think about the things. They're just living for the here and the now. And the, the sixth seal, it really reminds us that this day of reckoning, this day of wrath is going to come. And in the Bible, this is called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when God is going to come back and he's going to judge the world justly and make everything right. This is what it says in verse 12. As I watched, I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Now the point here is not to take this literally, because if you read in verse 13, it says that stars will fall to the sky. If you know anything about the earth and a star, stars are much bigger than the earth, right? <laughs> the stars would obliterate us in a second. Even if, They wouldn't even have to hit the earth. If our sun came a little bit closer, we wouldn't be able to sustain life. So this isn't, this isn't literally, but this is, this is a symbolic of what will happen. And it uses this example of this great earthquake. And again, looking back to the first century, this happened in Asia. And this was written to Christians in Asia, and there were two massive earthquakes that destroyed major Asian cities. And in, in 79 AD, um, Mount Vesuvius erupted and buried Pompeii. So we see that this was applicable for them back then. And, it, and as we said, stars will fall from the skies, mountains, and islands. Basically, what this means is it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big deal. And John is seeing this, and he's describing it the best way possible. And this judgment, this wrath is going to be for, for anyone, for kings, for poor people, for uh, rich people, for the sick, for the healthy. No, no one's going to be exempt from this. And this day of the Lord is described in Isaiah 2.11. This is hundreds of years before uh, Revelation was written. Crawl into caves in the rocks, hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. Human pride will be brought down and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. So God is bringing judgment on human pride, human arrogance. So often we see in this life that arrogance, human pride is not, it's not justified in this world. You know, I'm kind of a, I'll just let you know a little bit about my brokenness. Like when someone does something mean to someone else and like trips down the stairs, I'm like, yes, Lord, thank you so much for doing that. That was, that was justice served right then and there, right? But so many times we don't see that in life. We, we see, and this is what it talks about in the wisdom literature in the Bible. It says so many times the, the God-fearing people are persecuted and killed, but the rich and the selfish go unharmed. But this is what this is saying is there's going to come a day where, that, where they will be judged, and they will be judged justly and perfectly. And this is kind of... Um, so, so yeah, so this is the sixth seal, and this brings us to the end of chapter six, and the seventh seal actually doesn't happen until chapter eight. 
the Lamb breaking the seventh seal. And uh, we're going to come back to uh, chapter 7 in just a minute. But the seventh seal is basically the last thing that will happen before perfect judgment on the world. The opening of the seventh seal, it says there was a silence in heaven. Right? There was a silence. Um, because I, and again, we don't know why. Um, it's obviously a big deal. Silence is reverence, is awe, is, um, is magnificent, you know, is, is kind of disturbing at times. But what it says, the seventh seal, is that Jesus hears the prayers of justice from his people and he's ready to make things right. And so this is the first of seven uh, sevens, uh, I guess you could say, in the book of Revelation. There, there are three, three in the series of seven, sorry about that. There are seven seals, which we talked about. There are seven bowls, and there are seven trumpets. And each of these represents uh, symbolism and uh, judgment on the world. And again, how they relate to each other is some debate. Speculative, you know, it's not bad to speculate, but that's, we need to not get caught up on that being the only thing. And this is what we need to know. <laughs> this is what we need to know ultimately. This kind of ties this all together today. So this is a lot of information. I'm sorry, it's a lot of uh, symbolism, everything like that. But this is really what we need to know. As Christians, the end time is going to test the quality of each person's faith. Who likes to be tested? Right? No, hopefully no one raises their hands. You know, each generation who's lived, there's been extreme testing. Uh, we're going to have our faith tested personally. There's going to be trials. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be pain. The song that we just sang it as well, I don't know if anyone knows the history behind that song, but you should go look it up when you get home. Look up It Is Well uh, song history, and it'll show you that that man's life and just how brutal it was, how, how painful and full of sorrow it was. Yet he writes, it is well. <laughs> it is well with my soul because I have Jesus. And we need to understand that, you know, this, this all kind of seems brutal a little bit. Maybe it affects us. We feel like, oh, this, this isn't really fair. You know, God's wrath will be poured out on everyone. But this is what we need to understand is God is at a level of justice that we could never even begin to comprehend. We think of justice almost in a selfish way sometimes, right? Like me wanting the person to trip down the stairs who just, you know, slapped my friend or something like that. This sounds like high school. Um, but, um, but yeah, but God's justice is, is perfect and is just. He's not flying off the handle. He's not hurting innocent people. He's giving people, in a sense, exactly what they wanted. That's kind of a way to think of God's justice. It's exactly what they wanted because they lived that way with their words, with their actions. They didn't want God. They didn't want anything to do with God. And so God's giving them what they wanted. And this is how chapter 6, it ends like this with this question. It says, the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? Who is able to survive? This is kind of a rhetorical question that we find the answer to in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. It says this, After I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. 
And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. You know, we have this picture of God's people having survived the evils of this world. This is a diverse people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. They're gathered together before the throne and they're singing, they're shouting, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lord. And we see in Revelation 7, 14, it says this. It says that this salvation was bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb, from the Lamb. And there will be persecution. There will, there will be sorrows. There will be pain. But what, what John is seeing here is he's seeing this picture of even though through all of that, God's people are preserved. That's, that's actually what... Uh, Chapter 7 of Revelation is talking about is God's people being preserved and worshiping God for his goodness. Now, that doesn't mean that you're exempt from pain and, and sorrows and trials. That doesn't mean that we just live in this protective bubble, but we know that God is ultimately going to get us through this. And as with everything, you know, when you're a follower of Jesus, it changes the way that you think, it changes the way that you perceive, it changes your perspective. It says in James that, that to consider it pure joy when you face trials because it's building your perseverance. It's building up your uh, faith in God. And, and again, none of us would, I think, choose to go through that because we like comfort. We like the easy way. But if you talk to someone after an extreme trial, they'll always say, yeah, I would never want to do that again, but I would never ask that that didn't happen because of the way in the end that it builds their faith and perseverance. And this is really what the last thing that I want to share today is Romans 8, 18. This is Paul. And he says this, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Now, I'm not sharing this to minimize trials, to minimize sorrow, to do anything like that, because we go through real pain and hardship in this life. But what he's saying is, is that the glory, the things that are to come are so much better. They'll outweigh it so much more what we dealt with. And so while we suffer now, while, while there's difficult times now, we can have a hope for the future. And this is what we're going to talk about in the future, in the coming weeks of this Revelation series. But again, I encourage you, if you haven't started, we're only six chapters in, right? Six, well, or eight, I guess. Start reading Revelation. And see how it really is the story of Jesus being unveiled to his people for his plan. And it gives us a future hope. Let's pray together. God, we just, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, God, that you've given us this guide, this uh, spirit Spirit-empowered word, your words, Lord, through human history. And God, we just um, pray, Lord, that what we talked about today, God, even though it's, it's easy to get caught up in the details sometimes, to think, to wonder, God, it may even be easy to be fearful at times, Lord, but I pray that we would see the big picture that, God, their salvation comes through you, comes through Jesus, Lord, and there's nothing in this world that can take that away. There's nothing in this universe that can take that away from us. 
God, you hold this all in your hands, Lord, and you can give us the faith that we need in times of testing, in times of sorrow. Jesus, you said in John 16 that that even though we're going to face these things, to take heart, to trust in you because you have overcome. God, by, the, by your blood on the cross, Lord, and so we just thank you for that, Lord. And let us, let us look to that each and every day, Lord, especially in this difficult time that we're in right now, God, where there's so much unrest, there's so much chaos, there's, there's so much division. God, we need your peace. We need your presence in this time, God. We need that hope. And so, Lord, I pray that every person in here would just understand the amount of love that you had for us, that you would send your son to die, a sinner's death that we deserved to die in our place, to take care of that sin that would have brought wrath against us, God. But now we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. God, so as we close today, be with us as we go from here, God. Help us to be encouraged not speculative, not fearful, God, but encouraged by the hope of what we have to look forward to, Lord. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be the king of our hearts, the king of our lives, God, that when people see us, regardless of what we're going through, that they would ask us, what's different about you? And that we would be able to share, Jesus, with them what you have done for us on the cross, Lord. So be with us. Help us to worship you in this last song and and worship you as we go from here. We pray these things in your name. Amen.